Welcome in to the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Boy, we got a different, exciting type show for you today. We're bringing back an old friend, MJ Dixon, today. We're talking about supernatural Africa, and we're also talking about an exciting convention that's out there for you to take advantage of, Sage Paracon. And there's two events coming up within the next month. And I'm telling you, if you don't go to one, you got to go to the other. We're going to tell you a little bit about those events today as well. But first, I've got to tell you about a movie that I saw on Tuesday called Haunting in Venice. And folks, it opens this weekend. It opens on Friday. And you've got to get out there. you got to see this movie. I know you've seen the trailer for it. You've probably seen Kenneth Branagh or Michelle Yeoh or... Tina Fey, and you've probably seen it and said, what is this thing about? It looks intriguing. It looks like a murder mystery, but it's also got a little paranormal twist. Well, that's exactly what it is. Essentially, it is on Halloween night, 1947. It's set in Venice, and it's pretty much everything you've seen in those trailers. Uh, Again, it's set in eerie post-World War II Venice on All Hallows' Eve. It's a terrifying mystery featuring the return of a celebrated sleuth, Hercule Poirot, my French is horrible at this point, Uh, he's now retired and he's living there in Venice in self-imposed exile. So he's not taking any appointments, he's not helping anybody, he's pretty much just retired as he puts it right there in Venice. Poirot basically reluctantly attends a seance when Tina Fey's character uh, drags him out and takes him to a decaying haunted palazzo for a Halloween party for a bunch of children. Now, the owner of that palazzo has lost her daughter to what is believed suicide. She hears the voices of these haunted children that are trapped in this palazzo and then jumps from from the top of this palazzo to her death down into the canal. At that point... The mother of this daughter wants Michelle Yeoh's character, who's a psychic, to come in and hold a seance after all the children have left this Halloween party. Then one of the guests is murdered. At this point, Perot just decides he's going to shut the entire thing down, and then it goes from there, and we start to lose more people, and the fun begins. And we'll leave it at that. I, I highly, strongly suggest you go see this movie, folks. It's everything that True Crime Tuesday and our show is. It's a little bit of a whodunit. It's a little bit of a murder mystery. It's a little bit, uh, it's a lot of fun, by the way. And it's a lot of the paranormal. And it begins to make you think a little bit about the skeptic side of what we do and the believer side of what we do. And can they coexist together? And absolutely they can. You get to see Detective Perot and his extremely cynic side you see tina fey who wants to believe her character but at the same time she wants to write her books and make her money uh you see someone in in the mother in this story who wants to believe so badly and there's so many different ebbs and flows in this movie and there's a lot of messages in this movie it's one of those movies you really have to see a couple of times because there is so much messaging in here it's directed by kenneth branagh who's also the star of this movie and i tell you branagh is a just as brilliant a director as he is an actor and i i really did enjoy this movie i'm going to give it four out of five stars again a haunting in venice opens this friday at a theater near you check it out this weekend it's a good weekend to go check out a movie
Let's get to our guest, shall we? Our guest is a returning friend of the program. I, I got to see her out at Michigan Paracon, and she did such a wonderful thing for me. I At first, when I got a text from her on Saturday night, which was my birthday then, I thought we were going to go uh, bury a dead body. That's what I asked her. Are we going to go bury a dead body? And she said, uh, yeah, and then a laughy face. I thought maybe we were just going to have a birthday drink. When I come into the lounge where she asked me to meet her, there, uh, Richard has to decided he was going to share his birthday cake with me and share a birthday party with me. And uh, MJ put all that together for the two of us, and I appreciated it greatly. MJ Dixon is a paranormal investigator, psychic medium, writer, paranormal television producer, director, and an all-around great woman. Uh, she's based in Warwickshire, UK. She is known for her work as the co-host on Skypick TV Paranormal Show, Paranormal Captured, and has worked on shows such as Destination Fear, Most Terrifying Places, Paranormal Lockdown, Hotel Paranormal, Destinations of the Damned, and three seasons of In Search of the Paranormal, as well as her popular shows and documentaries. She is also the founder of Sage Paracon, and we'll talk about that as well. She's got a new book that will be out soon, having to do with Supernatural Africa, and we're going to bring her in today to talk about it. Let's welcome back to Darkness Radio. MJ Dixon. How are you doing, MJ? I'm doing very well, Tim, my love. How are you? I am super. I am super today. I'm even better now that you're here. Likewise. Good to be back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's start off, first of all, talking about this trip that you took back home in the interest of the paranormal and supernatural. Uh, this, oh in, this intrigues me. Uh, now, uh, obviously, you go back home to see relatives, and, and quite often. But why turn your eye back to your profession and your homeland? Well, actually, I haven't been back to Southern Africa for about eight or nine years. Mm. I've just been so busy with work, and over the last few years, I've always felt this this draw, this pull to go back to my roots, and so it was. Definitely something I'd been planning for a really long time. When the opportunity came up to go back home this year, I thought, you know what? I am going to see just how much high strangeness I can get mixed up in and explore all things from cryptids to aliens to the alleged mermaid problem that Zimbabwe has, which is quite interesting. Um, everything just, you know, when I lived there, we couldn't talk about the paranormal. It was completely taboo. Yeah. You couldn't say that you were a psychic medium. You couldn't say that you loved all things strange. I mean, you would be burnt at the stake. Hmm. So to have the opportunity to go back nearly a decade later and see how much paranormal pop culture has influenced the entire country, you know, Zimbabwe and South Africa, and just... There were these happy little synchronicities all along the trip that led to the most amazing stories. It was it was very cool. I know when you were last here, we had talked about uh, your your first book, and you were talking a little bit about how your mother had had the gift, and how your family throughout your family they have the gift. Um, what to you? Do you hide that in the family and then and, and hide it from others? And when you went back, did you find yourself telling others that you had this gift or did you still keep it on the on the down low? Okay, so I have always been that very uh, forward, very open 
and very loudmouth child. Okay. <laughs> so when I was growing up, we couldn't talk about it in our family. You know, I mean, all of the women have some sort of a gift from reading tarot cards or tea leaves, um, having premonitions. I come from an extremely psychic family, but we could never disclose that outside of family members. It was very much hush-hush throughout my upbringing until, you know, you have a seven or eight-year-old psychic child who is seeing dead people in their school and is very forward about it. So I got... um I got suspended from school on several occasions when I was a kid mm -hmm. for telling ghost stories and creeping the hell out of all my classmates. And, you know, my, my parents got called into the school numerous occasions because I was telling ghost stories. I wasn't telling them ghost stories. I was telling them about the, you know, spirits that were roaming around the school. <laughs> but little did they know. And it's definitely changed now, I think, going back seeing the difference that paranormal pop culture has made, people are far more accepting and, and far more open to it now. So when we did bump into people and they were like, oh, you here visiting family? And I was very forward. I was like, I'm looking for all things strange. <laughs> like I wanna, I'm, I'm flying my weirdo flag high. I want to find aliens and ghosts. And they were like, wow, okay. And funny enough, 10 years ago, people would have shot that down straight away. Yeah. They would have been like, okay, crazy lady. Or, you know, that's not very Christian or whatever the case is. Right. Now they were like, oh, I have a story. And it was the first time that I've ever had people in Southern Africa open up and tell me their stories about seeing aliens or hauntings in their homes. And it just made the trip that much more interesting. That would be interesting, you know, especially we talk about, you know, cultures closing themselves off. Even in America, you have, you know, certain cultures within America that that say, OK, even though we have these stories, we don't talk out loud about them. Maybe we share them through written word or whatever, but it's not acceptable to sit and talk about it, especially if you're let's just say if, if you're deep into the church, you don't you don't acknowledge certain things, especially psychic gifts. You don't, you don't acknowledge that. Um, but with that, uh, to, to say that this extremely conservative area is now opened up, do you find that the hauntings, let's start with ghosts. Do you find that the hauntings are different? Like here in America, we say, okay, we see ghosts from anywhere from the, 17 and 1800s to now, are you finding that the spirits you see in South Africa are different and in Zimbabwe are different than what you would see here? To a degree, yes. Um, it's very hard to explain. You do have several centuries and layers of residual energy in Africa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had... Jeff Belanger write the foreword for this particular book because he spent time at, you know, climbing Mount Kilimanjaro yes. and wrote a phenomenal book about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a very spiritual journey for him as well. So I thought there's no one better to write the foreword for this book. And so he asked me if I had ever been to the rising cave system in, in Africa. Mm -hmm. Now, I've never personally been. My, my family have without me. 
Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something that's on my bucket list to go and see for myself. And the reason I'm bringing this up is this is Herman O'Leary was the oldest human remains found. You know, they, they found 15 skeletal remains in deep within the cave system. And it's known as the cradle of humankind. It is as far back as we go. And if you think about it, you know, Jeff brought up a very good point in his foreword where he says that Africa should technically be the most haunted continent. Right? <laughs> because it goes so far back. And that's what I mean. Like We have so many layers of history. So whereas here in the UK, I can go, okay, you know, my, my town, my village, some of the buildings are 13th and 14th century. So we have way more history going on here as far as hauntings compared to America. And I'm still trying to figure out Southern Africa. It's so different. Yeah. I mean, you do have your your usual suspects. You know, you've got people from the last few decades that are kind of hanging around. And especially when I went to certain areas and I did psychic readings. Mm-hmm. So... I had readings done by a medicine woman, by a traditional Sangoma, by a witch doctor. And I had, I wanted to compare all of these different divination techniques and all sorts of things. And at one point I went to a sacred cave system and I was walking through the Chinoy caves and it was a very elemental haunting. It was, it was really, I don't know how to put it. It was very ancient it was very tribal just a lot of earth spirit energy and it was very overwhelming Hmm. for a psychic medium to kind of try and figure it out it's unlike anything i've ever come across before saying that i grew up there and just visiting these these sacred places it's just a whole different vibe it's just a whole different haunting for someone really who, difficult to explain <laughs> for, for for someone who's not psychic and doesn't know the difference of between how an elemental spirit feels and how a human spirit spirit feels can you try to give us an idea of how it feels absolutely you know usually if you are at home and you close your eyes and somebody walks into the room behind you you can go oh that's my mom mm-hmm. or you know it's your brother or you know you you've have that feeling you know their energy so it's very similar when it comes to other human spirits i always tell people try this exercise sit in a little bar where it's not too busy have a look around at the people that are within the bar and then kind of get a sense of who they are maybe somebody's a bit of a jock you know like the football type or maybe somebody's a bit more of a loner or maybe someone's a party girl or whatever the case is You know, try and get a feel for what they're about and then close your eyes. Pick one of those people and try and follow their energy around the bar as they move around. Because it starts training you to focus on their energy. Mm -hmm. And it starts helping you tell the difference between male, female and their moods. Are they happy, angry, sad? That sort of thing. So when it comes to elemental spirits, it, it feels a lot more animalistic. It feels a bit more raw and intense. It's really hard to describe, but 
it's more of a, a nature-based feeling. It's okay. as if you're you're sitting in the middle of a forest and all of a sudden something comes up to you with this intense energy. And sometimes they're really nice. Sometimes it can feel just really calming and just lovely. Hmm. Other times people mistake them for what we would say is a demon. A lot of people confuse the two and it's because they're very mischievous. So sometimes they will taunt you. They will kind of poke the bear and see what reaction they get from you. Mm -hmm. And the more you react, the more they're kind of like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> so a lot of times people will get that sort of strange sensation of like, oh boy, gotta leave right now. There, there's something far too intense or something maybe a bit threatening in the area. It just it depends on what type of elemental you've come across. And it also depends on what kind of person you've come across, I guess. Does a does an elemental necessarily understand human interaction or human language? Not at all. And this is the, the issue. This is why a lot of people will claim that they have something demonic haunting their house or something malevolent in some way because they're getting this reaction. So the more you're frightened and the more you're unsure of how to handle it, people have reported seeing things like little goblin creatures or, you know, um, oh my gosh, little elf looking things or mm -hmm. just strange creatures. And immediately they think the worst. So as soon as they get a reaction from you, because they don't understand human interaction, they kind of just do the same thing and kind of poke the bear a little bit more and a little bit more. And the the more freaked out you get, the more it sort of becomes a game to them. Hmm. You know, sometimes sometimes the, the nicer ones, if they see they're getting a reaction like that, they'll back off and their energy will become a lot more subtle. And they kind of, it kind of clicks and they go, oh, okay, don't do that. Right. <laughs> We're yeah. scaring them away. Yeah. But other times they... I don't know, they just kind of get a kick out of it. it. It sounds like there's different personalities, much like anything else Definitely. on the planet. You know, you may have a kinder animal, you may have, may have a more aggressive animal. Absolutely. It's just it's just the way the, the spirit's personalities form, I guess. Right? Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. So let me ask you this, MJ. It's it's been almost a decade since you've been back. Obviously things change physically. In, in the areas that you've gone to, and, it, and some stuff may even be unrecognizable. Does the landscape psychically change as well, along with the physical landscape of, of what you're seeing? Oh my gosh, yes. I think in certain areas, now that people have started embracing the myths and legends and the hauntings, it does feel a bit more active. It does feel a bit more like, oh, my gosh, hey, somebody recognizes that we're here. Mm -hmm. So it does feel slightly more intense in certain areas, whereas other places it was still exactly the same. Really? Hmm. But yeah, it, it did. And maybe, again, maybe that's me. You know, my psychic abilities have changed drastically and developed so much over the last 10 years. So perhaps it's just me being able to tune in to certain things a bit better and and realizing how much more there is actually out there mm -hmm. compared to what it was like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I think 
I think it's a combination of the spirits realizing that someone's trying to give them a voice and it's okay to to talk and reach out as well as me being a bit more open to it now. Well, forgive the crassness of this obser- observation, but I, I've always felt like, and especially after being on the Queen Mary and seeing Jackie the ghost there, um, I've always kind of felt like the paranormal needs, for lack of a better term, and this is a kind of a crass term, that they need an audience, uh, not only to feed off that energy, but also because, as you put it more eloquently than I, um, they need to get their word out or need to get their message out. And you can't do that in a quiet, somber atmosphere. So if South Africa really is changing and and Southern Africa is really changing, then, and they're acknowledging the paranormal, they're getting their audience, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, without people, there are no ghost stories. There's, there's nothing there's if there's no one to listen to them and tell their stories there's nothing and i think that's always been a big thing for me like the telling the story side and i think that's why i wanted to shed a light on southern africa supernatural africa Mm -hmm. one of the things that i've always stood by is that in this life you die twice you die your physical death and then you die the day that people stop speaking your name. And that's always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, felt like, what happens to all of those people in these countries where we're not allowed to talk about the paranormal? We're not allowed to shine that light on them. We're not allowed to give them that voice. It's it's frowned upon. And that kind of made me kind of sad. So I wanted to go home and, and give them that voice and listen to their stories and tell their stories. You know, this first trip back home was unraveling the mystery of like cryptids and legends and African beliefs and the African culture. Mm-hmm. Um, my next trip home is more on the side of ghost stories and giving a voice to them. There you go. There you go. Uh I want to talk a little bit about, um, I, I want to delve a little bit into some of the the things you did find in Africa, but I, I want to save that for the back half of the program. First, what I want to talk about is Sage Paracon. I want to focus on that before we get to the break. And we'll remind people at the end of the program about Sage Paracon too, um, because you do have two exciting events coming up within the next month. And I know you work very hard on these events, MJ. And that you have one coming up here in Virginia at the end of September. Um, tell us a little bit about what we have in store at the Bell Grove Plantation. It is a very intimate, small weekend. When people hear Paracon, they immediately think it's a really big event. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, it is limited to 60 people. We still have a handful of tickets left. So if anyone does want to join us, it is basically a very intense paranormal weekend of learning as much as possible. Okay. So we have some wonderful speakers. We have Jeff Belanger, who's one of the most prolific speakers and researchers in the paranormal field. Oh, yes. If you've never seen him do a talk, that man just blows your mind every single time. Doesn't matter what he talks about. Mm -hmm. He's such a phenomenal speaker. And we have John Zappas, the godfather of the paranormal. Mm -hmm. We have Kelvin Von Crush, 
who is the occult collector and our resident skeptic. <laughs> okay. And we also have Kim Sage, who is a wonderful psychic medium. And then me. There you and go. we're going to be doing a talk as well as a lecture. Um, so a, a workshop. And we're going to have some Q&A panels and things. And so it is very much the talks of things like I'm doing a talk about Supernatural Africa. And I'm actually going to share some of the photos and videos from the trip and discuss some of the the legends and lore and all of that. But then, you know, we have uh, John Zaffis, who's going to be doing a Q&A about demonology and and all things haunted. We have Calvin Von Crush, who's going to be looking at the psychology and skepticism within the the, psych, the paranormal field. Okay. We have Jeff, who's going to be doing a talk about ghost stories and legends, but also then doing a masterclass workshop on how do you research the paranormal? Like, how how do you get down to the bottom of a location, the history, the deeds, the finding people connected with the place, the the death certificates. The, where do you even start? And maybe maybe you're gathering that information because you want to write a book about the location, mm-hmm. or maybe it's a paranormal case that you're working on, whatever it is. How do you even begin researching these locations? That's worth so the cost of admission of, right there. Yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be then doing a EVP masterclass. So it is everything from the history of EVPs to different sound frequencies and how we can tell the difference and how do we edit our EVPs? What should we be doing? What shouldn't we be doing? Mm -hmm. How the age of your ears affects what you hear when you play back your EVPs. How editing and removing certain frequencies or adding certain frequencies and tones can completely change the word that you're hearing. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, different tools of the trade and teaching people experiments, like hands-on things that they can take away and do on their investigations. Um, we have Kim Sage, who's doing a psychic mediumship boot camp. And this is things that you can do during your investigation. Like, how do you use psychic mediumship? What do you do? When you tap into your psychic mediumship during a paranormal investigation, different divination methods, everything from doing a tarot reading for the location or automatic writing or so it's delving into the spiritual side a bit more. There's just there's a lot. I mean, you know, we've got so many different workshops, Q&A sessions, all sorts of things going on the entire Saturday and Sunday we do have a handful of vendors that are going to be joining us. Like I said, it is a very small, very niche event. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also then investigate Belgrove Plantation, which is amazing. Oh, wow. I love it. It's one of my favorite locations to investigate. Yeah, It's got really cool history. and Yeah. And then Sunday night, we end the evening with a murder mystery. Really? Everybody gets to take part. There is a murder. One of the ladies who owned Belgrove Plantation is sadly killed during a party that celebrates the woman who owned Belgrove throughout its history. And we have a seance to try and contact her ghost to get clues. We investigate to try and get EVPs and more information from this ghost to help us solve the mystery. 
You have to decipher clues and things all along the way in, in different rooms and areas. You have some people who are going to be lying to you. The other suspects are going to be blaming each other and everybody has a motive. So you got to kind of get down to the bottom of this, this murder in a paranormal investigation kind of way. Wow. <laughs> so it's going to be very different and super fun. That does sound fun. So at Michigan Paracon, when I asked you, do you need help burying a dead body? You really did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. See, I, <laughs> I was writing it. a murder mystery. <laughs> I was just ahead of you by a month or so. That's all. <laughs> that was a hilarious text. Like, Could you meet me downstairs in the rapid lounge? Are we burying a body? Yep. <laughs> yep. You just said, yep, with a laughy face. Well, MJ, that all sounds like an amazing paracon it really does and and the nice thing about it is it's an intimate one you're not sharing it with thousands of people um you're doing it with a more intimate audience which is nice i really want people to have time with the speakers i want you to be able to walk up to them and ask as many questions as you'd like to mm -hmm. i want you to take away as much as possible from the workshops and the talks you know we're here to share everything that we've learned over, I mean, John Zappas, you've got five decades oh, yeah. of investigating yeah. the paranormal. Come on. Yep. And like that man gets so sick of me when I'm around him because I ask him questions nonstop. <laughs> I mean, he is such a, he's a walking paranormal encyclopedia. Yeah. yeah. So why wouldn't you just soak up as much knowledge as possible? And everyone's really fun and approachable and we're eager to share all the information that we have. And you kind of lose that a little bit at bigger events. You know, yes, at bigger events, you, you do have far more talks and things, but you don't really get all that much opportunity to get into an in-depth conversation with the speakers. Right. And really pick their brain. And, and that's what I love about it. By the time you finish the weekend, you've, you walk away with way more knowledge, mm -hmm. cool experiments to try, and a whole family of paranormal weirdos that you can then hang out with and investigate with. And it's really cool. I like the smaller events. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And, and you put it perfectly. You get to make one big paranormal weirdo family after you're done in, uh, with the weekend, which is the best thing because then you, you keep up with each other and go to event after event after event with each other, which is, which is really nice. Now we can't forget about uh, Sage Paracon six, which takes place in uh, at, the, at the Combe Abbey hotel in Coventry uh, over in the UK. Uh, that that coming up uh, October 26th through the 29th. And again, for tickets for either uh, Sage Paracon, uh, either the one here in the States at Bell Grove or the one at the Combe Abbey Hotel, uh, you go to sageparacon.co.uk. We'll have the link in the description of this program. So you can click on it and uh, get the ticket, get tickets to either one. Now, you've got a little bit bigger lineup for the one uh, at uh, Combe Abbey hotel uh tell us a little bit about the one that's coming up here at the end of october oh my goodness so it is a bit of a bigger lineup it is a slightly bigger event and we have amazing speakers joining us you may recognize a few of them we have richard estep we have mr john el temi we have brad and tim from michigan paracon brad blair and tim ellis we have J. Marie Shackelford, who is a wonderful psychic medium. Calvin Von Crush will be joining us over that side of the pond, too. 
and what shall I say, this side of the pond. <laughs> <laughs> and we have Shane Pittman. We've got Janet O'Carroll, who is a UK psychic medium, uh, Reiki master. And oh my gosh, that woman is just anything spiritual. She's got it covered. Claire Hanks, again, another psychic medium here from the UK. And me. I do still have one more person that I have yet to announce. Um, it is a bit of a, a surprise guest. It's going to be a last minute thing. And it's a little similar to Sage Paracon in the States, but it's just kind of rearranged a little. So on the Thursday night, we do a paranormal investigation of Coombe Abbey Hotel, which is built around 1058. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, sir. You want to talk history? That is some history. It is incredible. Um, it is also the childhood home of then Princess Elizabeth I. Okay. Um, it was a monastery, uh, hence the abbey. Mm -hmm. um, oh, my goodness. It's just, it's incredible. It's been used for so many different things over the centuries, and it is extremely haunted. There are definitely still a few of the previous owners that hang about, and there's included in the uh the hallway is actually a tomb of a murdered monk really yeah it's really cool whoa <laughs> at coombe abbey yeah it's very very interesting so lots of like myths and legends and ghost stories there and then friday night we do a three-course vip meal mm -hmm. this is a themed dinner so this year's theme is viva las vegas and it's the owner of Coombe Abbey who has invited us to have a Viva Las Vegas themed party for her birthday when somebody at the party is murdered. However, this isn't the same sort of murder mystery night that we do where it's hands on, where you go and collect the clues. This is actually a full theater production with actors and singers. It's a big stage show and it happens all around us whilst we have our three course meal. Really? We do get involved. And we have to try and decipher clues. Uh, the ghosts of Coombe Abbey come forward and tell us a bit more about their stories. So you learn some of some little tidbits of history and you also kind of have to figure out who the, the killer is. The ghosts help you do that, though. But it is a full theatre production. I work with a, a great theatre team on that. That's amazing. Yeah, it's super fun. That is so cool. Really, really a fun evening. That is so cool. Wow. And then Saturday and Sunday all day, we have talks as usual and workshops and things throughout the day. Saturday night, we have a legendary VIP party. In six years, it has become the highlight of the event. It is so much fun. We have very bad karaoke, a.k.a. <laughs> scaryoke. Okay. Um, and it is also themed, but people really go all out with their costumes. And I think that's what I love about it the mm -hmm. most. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had themes like we had a supernatural cosplay one year we did a vampire masquerade ball a voodoo in the bayou bash and this year everybody voted they wanted the theme to be purely the paranormal oh. so anything whether you're dressing up as a paranormal researcher in history a you know paranormal celebrity that's on tv now or a ghost a demon an angel a vampire anything supernatural paranormal and weird that is the outfit choice for the vip party and yeah. then sunday night we end the the weekend with a paranormal pub quiz trivia night 
we have a few drinks and we have a paranormal trivia night and relax and wind down the the chaos of the weekend. <laughs> that is amazing. Super fun. <laughs> that is amazing. That is that is something else. Uh, well, folks, like like I said, we've got the link in the description of this show, sageparacon.co.uk. Uh, and by all means, uh, get your tickets. Not only because we've got just a few left for the one here in the States at Bell Grove, but Coombe uh, Abbey is coming up quick, too. It, it's Time goes so quickly, MJ. So, I mean, October 29th or 26th through the 29th, that's just like like that. It's just going to go so quickly. So don't remind me. I still have oh, so sorry. much to do. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to stress you out. I am working nonstop at the moment, I'm just sorry. working on tweaking all the finer details. You know, because there's things that people don't realize. There's so much work that goes into it. Like I design an entire weekend magazine, mm-hmm. and it has some articles and adverts and the schedule and all of that in there. But I have to write all of that. Oh no. Um, the the speaker game show oh my gosh i didn't even we do an icebreaker game show at both sage usa and sage uk where i have very random facts very very weird facts about each one of my speakers but each of those facts has a story and it's kind of like a caramel jeopardy you know the fact comes yeah. up on the screen and and you've got to kind of guess which speaker it belongs to and if you guess it they have to tell you the story associated with it so you know there's things like a ghost saved my life or i got sprayed by a skunk or i heard the call of sasquatch or you know this is random yeah yeah it's really funny some of them are really awkward <laughs> <laughs> it's, not- it's great there's nothing like oh. getting to know somebody over an awkward fact. That's 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 oh, the yeah. best kind of comedy Absolutely. right there. Yeah. But I have to create that game show and there's so many moving parts to the entire event. Um designing menus for the dinners and things. Oh my gosh. So yes, I'm not looking forward to the fact that time is time's running out. <laughs> but yeah, and I'm sure you'll agree with me here, MJ. The best part of this whole thing is at the end of it when the people come up to you and say, MJ, I had the best time. This was so cool. Absolutely. You know what? That is the reason I've been suckered into doing so many of these. (laughs) (laughs) I always went, this is the last one. This is the last one. I'm not doing another one. It is so much work for one person. Because it is. It's just me that puts it together. I don't work with a whole team of people. You know, I do have the most amazing people who volunteer and help out. and, And my speakers put up with me. You know, my, my, my nagging, my constant questions, my throughout the entire process. Um, but it is a lot of work. And every year I go, that's it. This, this is the last one. And then I started one in the States. <laughs> it's like <laughs> one wasn't enough. <laughs> you went backwards. <laughs> yeah, I know I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to be honest, I am actually taking a year off. Um, there is no Sage Paracon next year. So if you do want to be a part of it all, or this craziness, it is going to be a bit of a a bang of a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I am taking next year off, and it's purely because I have more supernatural Africa that I want to explore. Okay. I have more books that I want to write. I I have some other things that I am focusing on slightly and i need a bit more time next year to be able to do those things there you um, go. i just i can't juggle everything anymore 
Um, so who knows? You know, we might bring Sage Paracon back at the end of 2025. Yeah. Hopefully. But you don't know. This could be the last one ever. <laughs> you have to join us. <laughs> Either that or, or MJ, you got to hire a staff for Sage Paracon, one or the other. Yeah. There's that. That's an option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I, and I hear you. You know, it, life is so short and you, you have to get, if you have a project in mind that you, you have a passion for, you got to get it out there. So if, if that is your calling and that's what you're feeling the call to do is to get those books out there and you have that book in your head and you need to get it on paper or ebook form, uh, then get that out there. And you know what? You can always return back to Sage Paracon. Um, Absolutely. Or, or just drop it in someone's lap that can follow instructions really well, one or the other. Um, but it's it's uh, it's completely up to you. I know when you say that 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 it's going to go away for your people, I can hear already the people who already attend going, "Oh, come on, MJ!" Um, but you know, there's there's. Uh, you know. I think I do want to change things up a little. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want. It's not to say that I'm not going to do events. Um, you know, I'll probably still do some investigations and things next year and and definitely some road trips with Richard Estep working on our psychic remote viewing research and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. There are just a lot of other things that I'd like to work on. Um and yeah, it's if it wasn't for if I could split myself in three and and accomplish more, I would. Yeah. Um, two of me is just not enough. One of me is barely surviving with the amount I'm trying to do at the same time. <laughs> so I'm, a, I'm on a steady diet of caffeine at the moment. Oh. Um, but I think it's it's time to just focus a bit more yeah. on on going back home. To be honest, just exploring more of supernatural Africa. This trip just wet my appetite. It. It's just scratching the surface. There's so much more to explore and it's just different. It's just to be able to go home and I speak the languages. So that's a huge help. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to be able to go home and just go back to my roots and, and learn more. I think that's sort of the natural progression now. I think that's that needs to happen. That sounds like a plan. With that, we'll take our break. When we come back, we'll talk about Supernatural Africa and some of the things that MJ found when she went back home. And I have an important question to ask her about her work with Richard Estep, about that remote viewing. We'll talk a little bit about that and get caught up, because we talked about that last time you were on the program. We'll get caught up a little bit about that work and talk a little bit about Michigan Paracon and the uh, the talk you did there about remote viewing. When we come back more with MJ Dixon, we're talking about supernatural Africa right here on the best in paranormal programming. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the Best in Paranormal Programming. This is Darkness Radio. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is paranormal researcher, author, psychic medium, all-around great gal, MJ Dixon. Is that, hey. a, good, is that a good enough <laughs> intro for you? I, I Sometimes I, you know. You're too kind to me. You're too kind. Oh, you're too kind to me. 
we're talking about Supernatural Africa. We're also talking about Sage Paracon. Uh, again, we have the link in the description of this program, uh, sageparacon.co.uk, where you can get your tickets. Again, folks, tickets are going quick, quick, for the one that's here in the States at Bell Grove Plantation. It takes place at the end of this month, so you're going to want to get your tickets and check out that that Paracon. Again, no Sage Paracon in 2024, so get out there and get your tickets right now for either the one in the UK or the one here in the States. Uh, probably easier for us here in the States to see the one in the States or go to the one in the States. So, uh, again, only a handful of tickets for the one here in the States at Bell Grove. Uh, before the break, I teased, MJ, that uh, you're doing some remote viewing experiments with Richard Estep. And yes. I, I know of just a few of what you've done, and you talked about it at Michigan Paracon, some of the things that you, you guys have been doing. I got to tell you, some of that work is absolutely astounding, MJ. Now, we had talked a little bit on the last show that there's a bit of confusion, at, at least in my head. You know, when, when I talk to remote viewers, they say, oh, no, 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 you don't need psychic ability whatsoever to be a remote viewer or access that gift. To me, I don't know that I buy that. To me, it seems like remote viewing and a psychic gift are hand in hand. What is your opinion on that? I don't know any difference. Um, so remote viewing is something that's very new to me. I say new. I've only been doing it for the last sort of three, four years where I've been really looking into it. According to my mom, this is something that I've done since I was a child. I mean, I was about four or five years old when I started you know, walking up to my mom and telling her something was wrong with my cousin that I could see that she slammed her finger in the door or whatever the case is. And when my mom phoned, that had just happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it is something that, that I have been able to do my entire life. I just didn't know about it. I didn't realize what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to whether or not you have to be psychic, I don't know how to answer that because I am psychic. So I'm only seeing it from my perspective. I don't know if somebody who, who doesn't have any psychic abilities or shall I say, isn't developing their psychic abilities. If they try it, I'm not too sure what the results will be. You know, everybody has some form of a psychic ability. Everybody is born with it. It's, it's like a muscle. I mean, the more you exercise it, the more you develop it, the stronger it becomes. So, and that's very much the case for me doing these experiments. To but me, I wouldn't know if, if somebody that has absolutely zero abilities whatsoever, if they try to tap into something, I don't know what the results would be. To me, it's quite interesting. To me, it's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but to me, it seems like remote viewing is a, is a combination of, traveling on an astral plane to to get to somewhere so you can see something it, it just seems like a combination of psychic gifts to me and and on top of that you know what i'm talking about going out of body going to another place seeing something and relaying that information back to yourself so that you can you can actually write that down does, does that seem fair absolutely the thing is you know a lot of people without psychic abilities are able to astral project so whether it is just a form of astral projection that you you don't need psychic abilities to do so, I'm, I'm sure there is a way to gather that information to be able to do it that way. Mm -hmm. But for me, I can tell you that when I do it, 
it's not the same as tapping in psychically the way I would for a reading. Okay. It's it's almost like you're using a completely different muscle. Hmm. It's I, I'm still struggling with how to explain the difference. And this is something that, you know, Richard and I have spoken about. I'm like, how do I articulate this? How do I put it down on paper? How do I explain to somebody how it's different from just tapping in psychically? Yeah. Um, it is still very, it's still, it's still a mystery to me. I don't know how I'm able to do it. Yeah. Um, it has been quite the process learning. First of all, I started tapping into Richard's energy because I was familiar with his energy. Even if I didn't know where he was in the world, I could still tap into him. And then I started using him as kind of an anchor and seeing what was around him. And then we figured out the moment people stepped close within proximity, like about a meter or so from Richard, I would then be able to pick up on them and their spirits. <laughs> so hmm. it gets a little confusing. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of starting to figure out whether or not I actually need the audio link, because that was always the thing. You know, Richard will phone me up via Zoom with his camera off. It's just an audio link. He can see me on camera. So he can see I'm not trying to Google anything. I'm not, I'm just right. sat there telling him exactly what I'm getting. And now it's got to the point of, do I need that link? Do I need that audio? Is is that technology, that, that connection, is that helping the link? Or can I do it without it? So if he just says to me, hey, on this day at 7 p.m., tap in. Tell me what you get. Tell me what you see. So that's kind of the natural progression now when it comes to our experiments is we're starting to remove certain elements and seeing if it still works or adding certain elements and seeing how that changes everything. Um, but we have some really cool experiments coming up. Next month, actually, it's going to be a busy month, but we do have a few locations that Richard's heading out to, and I know one of them. I actually do know the location, so mm -hmm. I have avoided reading anything about it because <laughs> I want because I know where he's going. I want to kind of keep the rest as as unbiased as possible. Sure, sure. Um, but we're doing it without the link. So does oh. it help if we know where he is, mm -hmm. that I don't have that connection? Or what happens if I don't know where he is and I don't have the connection? <laughs> well, here's what I want to throw in there, and that's this. I mean, we're all familiar with the silver cord theory, right? Yes. Um, and you two are quite good friends. Um, yes. Do you believe that between friends and colleagues and people who work together closely, do you believe that silver cord can exist and that silver cord could take the place of that link by phone. Absolutely, I believe that. And this is exactly why we're putting it to test. And this is, again, another theory that we're testing. I am so used to Richard's energy and, and we have that connection. It doesn't matter where he is in the world, I can kind of tap into him. Mm -hmm. So whether I need the the actual Zoom link or not, that's a different story. I know I am able to tap into his energy but can I do it with somebody I don't know? If I've just met you yeah. and I don't have a personal connection with you whatsoever, and Richard says, hey, 
this is my friend so-and-so. They're going to go to another location. Tell me where they are. Can I do it? Does it work if you don't have a connection at all? These are all the things we're trying to understand. I mean, there's so much more to it. And there are so many people out there who do remote viewing in their way. But what one person does doesn't necessarily work for the next. Because I've read so much about it. Mm -hmm. And I've watched documentaries about it. And I've spoken to other psychics who do remote viewing. And the way I do it seems to be very different to the way they do it. Yeah, because a regular remote viewer would tell you that if you if it were a stranger, you would be able to because they should give you a target, which would be that person. And you mm -hmm. should be able to focus in on that person, whether it be yeah. a picture of them. You could have a picture of them in front of you. It's just a matter of tuning into that person or, or, or keeping that picture in front of them, trying to feel their energy and then acquiring the target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. These are all things, like I say, I mean, you know, I've only been doing this for a few years now trying to figure it out. And I guess the reason we're trying so many different experiments is because I don't know how to explain how it works. Yeah. I don't know the the limitations. I don't know what would work better. I mean, do I have a stronger connection with the call or without it? Yeah. No. And this is the thing. People always think that you need to have all the answers in the paranormal field. No. The no. most incredible answer that you can hear from somebody is, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why we do this. It's why we do these experiments. It's why we do this research in the first place. Yeah. Kind of figuring that all out and then telling the stories of those who are on the other side. Well, that's why I do it anyway. <laughs> right, right. I'm curious, MJ, do, does Richard have a reverse link with you? Can he feel your energy from a, a ways away? Has it gotten to that point where... You know, he's not dead as a stone where he can say, hey, MJ, do you, are you, do you happen to be sitting down in your kitchen right now? Or are you, are you, do you happen to be at Savers or wherever it is you are right now? It's not something that we've tried. We actually should. But I have noticed more recently that I will be sitting thinking about Richard, <clears throat> excuse me, and thinking about, you know, upcoming investigations or whatever he might be doing and i will receive a message like hey how are you and i'm like what the <laughs> <laughs> like, get out of my head <laughs> so, <laughs> so it is a bit of roles reverse every now and again you know as soon as i start thinking about him <laughs> i'll randomly receive a text message or something so <laughs> I've had that happen with certain friends too. Yeah, you just they happen to be on your mind, and all of a sudden there's a message, and you're like, "Yeah, what are you doing?" Um, yeah, so yeah, but see, I think that all again goes back to the silver cord theory. Or theory, mm -hmm. you know, where where you do have that silver cord b between you and and certain people, and they can kind of feel that tug on the cord, and they respond accordingly. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, so many people have that happen. You know, you think of someone and the phone rings or somebody's on your mind and then you realize that they received bad news. Actually, I received some not so very nice news yesterday. And Aaron Sagers sent me a message saying, I had a really bizarre dream about you. Are you okay? And I was like, wow, actually, funny you should say that. <laughs> I was like, in that moment, I had just received awful news wow. and 
I just I sent him a message. He was like, yeah, I just wanted to check up on you. And I was like, thank you. I appreciate that so much. But it's really weird because I'm usually the person doing it to other people. Yeah. I'm not used to other people doing that with me. <laughs> wow. Very strange. Wow. That's a little spooky there, Aaron. That, but but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's good that he, he was there for you. That's for sure. I mean, you know. But still, spooky is spooky as hell. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. But no, that's. <laughs> I mean, that's. But that's spooky that's, is when Richard. I, I had this weird thing happen one day where I was sat in my living room, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, I just started seeing things through somebody else's eyes, and it was really bizarre. Like I could see their entire perspective, like. This guy was sat at a diner um, at the counter. I could see what was on the news. He was watching the news, this little TV up in the corner. I could see the red basket with the grease paper and some and fries and things left in it. Literally detail. And then I could also feel his emotions. So this guy was sat there watching the news about these women who had gone missing. And people were searching for them or trying to find their bodies. And he kind of had this really smug, I did that kind of proud feeling while really? he was watching the news. And then he looks down and I see like blood splatter, tiny little blood speckles on his trousers. And he gets up, gets into a truck, drives to what seems like a farm, um, walks out to a pigsty, leans over to look at the pigs, and he's kind of leaning on on the fence, the, the balustrade, and there's human teeth in the mud. Oh. And I realized that he had fed these women to the pigs. Oh, my God. Now, this happened, I received all of this information, and I could see it like a like a movie, like playing out as if I was seeing through his eyes in a matter of minutes and I just kind of snapped out of it and my mom looked at me and she was like where did you go <laughs> you just glazed over completely are you okay and it was the first time something like that had happened to me and then I heard Richard and so I contacted him I wrote down every single minute detail that I could remember I wrote it all down and I sent it over to Richard and he responded saying that's a little bit weird I'm actually sitting here writing my serial killer book. And he was like, do you know who Robert Picton is? And I was like, no. And he goes, did it look like America or Canada? I'm like, I don't know. It was kind of rural. There were pretty trees. <laughs> <laughs> it was farmland. I don't know. I have no idea. Kind of assumed it was an American diner. Yeah. And he was like, well, Robert Picton killed like, I don't know, 30 something woman, if not more. And he fed them to his pigs. He was a pig farmer. And Richard was sat there writing about him for his next book at that moment. He was writing that story. Oh, wow. The weird thing is, he's still alive. He is in jail serving a life sentence. So I basically saw through a living serial killer's eyes, which is really weird. And I don't know how or why that happened. <laughs> now... Had Richard interviewed him? No. Oh, not that I know. Okay, I was going to say no other connection other than that's what Richard was doing at the time. I was going to say because if Richard had interviewed him and had made an impression on him, 
And he was really in Richard's mind. I mean, he's already in yeah. Richard's mind because he's writing about him. But if it had been strong on Richard's mind to the point where it really was influencing him, uh, then that, you know, that that reverberation kind of tugs down the silver cord to you. And, and it had to have over overwhelmed your thoughts. I, I have no idea if if there was something more to it, maybe. I'm supposed to know more about that for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe there's still buddies missing. Maybe there's, I don't, I don't know if it's just because he was thinking about it so intensely or I have no idea. Or could, I I think, I think you're onto something when you say there's probably more bodies missing or more souls that need to be put to rest. Well, this is one of the things that we have been working on um, is a serial killer farm out in Colorado, and I had initially tapped in to see what I could pick up uh, psychically, like the remote viewing. But in August, I actually got to go and walk the farm to see if I could find any of the bodies. Really? And it was really intense. It was, um, it was very overwhelming. You know, tapping in psychically and remote viewing, I was able to kind of pinpoint where I thought bodies were. Mm-hmm. I could see things like the truck that witnesses said had a body in the back with a white top and and they'd seen them trying to bury one of the bodies. And these there were details that I was able to give them that were in the police case files that weren't public knowledge at all. Oh, wow. Um, very specific details. And so when you're remote viewing it doesn't really happen very often that one of those spirits actually reaches out to you. Mm-hmm. You're just seeing the information. You're kind of just seeing what used to be there or what's there at the moment or, but walking that ground, the moment the truck stopped on the farm, there was a guy right by the window, a spirit. And he was kind of like, Hey, I'm here. And I just sat there and I looked at Richard and I was like, Oh boy. <laughs> this is going to be different because <laughs> oh. now I'm here. I'm in the moment. I'm, I'm with these spirits. I'm trying to get more information and they don't know where all the bodies were buried, what, which part of the farm they have an idea. We were sat in the base room and I kept hearing somebody say 27, 27, 27, number 27. And I was like, are there 27 people that they still need to find or, they found a couple of the bodies. So were there, you know, 25 other people who we still needed to look for? And eventually I said it out loud. I was like, oh my God, this 27 just won't stop. And the owner of the farm looked at me and, and she took me over to a map of, of the area, the property. And their farm is actually split into two lot numbers, number 26 and number 27. Oh, wow. Number 27 is where I kept, there was like bodies, 27, bodies, 27. And so we now have a better understanding of which side of the property the bodies are buried. Um, so, yeah, that's a whole different ball game, though. Like actually walking the location that you have remote viewed is very different. That gave me chills, MJ. Wow. It's really creepy. It's really, really creepy, especially like, being able to walk and go, hey, there were two bodies here. And they're like, yeah, that's where the bodies were found. I'm like, okay, carrying on, keep walking. Yeah. Um, and then 
the more I kind of pride trying to get more information, at one point we did an EVP session and we captured an EVP saying, get back. Um, which was kind of alarming. It's almost like a back off, don't don't dig any further, that kind of feeling to it. Yeah. Um, and I'd also picked up on specifically how somebody was murdered in a very spot that I'd been standing in. And that was confirmed by the owner of the farm who had insider knowledge. Really? Yeah. It was really, it was really creepy. It was really weird. <laughs> wow. Wow. I'm loving the research though. It's, um, it's fascinating to me. And that's again, something I want to dig a bit deeper into next year and have is, more time to visit the locations that I'm remote viewing. Is is there a, a difference between fascinating and overwhelming when it comes to that? Is there a thin line there? When, especially yes. when it comes to missing missing persons? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the research is fascinating. I want to know more about how this ability works or who was there or what, what happened and then find out all of that side of it. But then the reality of it hits. There's still 20-something people whose families don't know what happened to them. Yeah. They're still missing. You know, there's 27 or I keep saying 27, I don't know why, but there's there's 20-something yeah. souls that need closure, that, you know, maybe some of them have accepted it, and maybe some of them have moved on, but there are definitely several people that still want their, tori- their story told. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still all of these people that are trying to get their point across of what happened to them or give that closure to their families. So that reality hits and it becomes very overwhelming. Very. <laughs> um, wow. It's the sad reality of, of dealing with death. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, speaking of life and death and, and things of the supernatural, again, we had mentioned uh, in the first half of the program that you had gone back home to Southern Africa and Zimbabwe and Let's talk a little bit. Let's lighten it up a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the legends and, and lore of, of Southern Africa and some of the things you had uh, ran into. I'm going to go a little bit out of order here uh, sure. in, in what you'd uh, encountered uh, back home. UFOs seem to be all the rage lately, uh, especially in, in this country and in, in the U.S. and in trying to get our government to acknowledge that there's something out there and trying to get disclosure in this country. I got to ask you, MJ, if it's really tight lipped here, is it really tight lipped there? They don't talk about it at all. They do not talk about it at all. It's super funny because we have, you know, that really terrible movie that was made called district nine. Yeah. Um, about yeah. aliens. <laughs> yep. Which is I, super funny. You, you didn't like that one, huh? Oh, actually, I really liked it. It's yeah. an awful movie, but it is. Yeah, I yeah. Really enjoyed it. I did. I, I like. I won't say I liked it, but I. Yeah, it was worth sitting through. I'll put it that way. I mean, there are worse movies. Right. Right. <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. So, the alien side of things. Um, I had watched a documentary that was recently released. Uh, about the aerial school phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the most well-documented alien landings in the world. You know, this 
alien or several alien crafts landed on the edge of a playground. And this was witnessed by 62 school students um, during their lunch break. So being Zimbabwe, (laughs) rural Zimbabwe, you have all these kids during the lunch break saying that this alien spaceship has landed and then the encounter lasted about 15 minutes where they had seen two beings come out of this weird shaped craft in between the trees. One was allegedly running up and down on top of the craft and the other one was standing in the long thatched grass. Um, and you have... 62 children whose witness statements are identical. Now, if kids were going to make up a story, I don't know. In my opinion, if children, that amount of children are going to try and make up a story, there are going to be some discrepancies. There's going to be minor details Mm -hmm. here and there that are slightly off. Yeah. But when you split 62 children up and you tell them to draw what they saw individually and it's almost identical, uh, there's got to be something there. Yeah. I don't know what they saw, but they saw something. And so I'd seen this documentary actually on the flight over to Zimbabwe. Okay. And I got there and I said to my mom, you know, we had been following on the trail of all things supernatural and cryptids and witch doctors and river gods and all sorts of things. And she was like, well, my aunt was actually the one who was like, what else do you want to do? And I was like, aliens, I want to do aliens. And she was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like aliens in Zimbabwe? She's like, you're talking about Rua school. And I was a bit like, wait, you... You know about that? She's like, yeah. I mean, Rua school was 15 minutes from our property. Oh, wow. So that's where they landed. It was like on the edge of the school and and my family's farm. <laughs> <laughs> um, which made it even more intriguing. And so we had sat there that day, uh, that afternoon, having a glass of wine on the patio after a long day of exploring. And one of my aunt's friends came around and she was picking something up. And I said to her, like, join us for a glass of wine. And we got chatting about why I was there and the fact that I was writing this book. And she went, oh, yeah, I've seen aliens. And I was a bit like, wait, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop you right there. Can I record this, please? Yeah, yeah. And she told me about her experience seeing crafts flying up ahead and overhead and... um she then said she knew the owner of the school. So she put me in touch with the old lady mm-hmm. who used to own Ariel School, whose daughter happened to be one of the first witnesses. Um, wow. The day that the craft landed, she was the first person to see it flying up ahead. And so I got in touch with her and I spoke with her about her encounter and, and everything that she remembered and and it kind of just led me down a rabbit hole. Huh. <laughs> yeah, not many people know about it. I mean, definitely check it out. There's a great documentary, The Aerial School Phenomenon, um, or Aerial Phenomenon. And there's some fantastic interviews with some of the kids. And yeah, it was just, um, it was weird actually speaking to people who were there 
during that time and and the chaos. And what I found interesting as well was that it wasn't only the children who witnessed these crafts landing, but the same night, um, about 14 people that were in uh, Kariba at Lake Kariba, which is on the other end of the country, mm-hmm. mind you, mm-hmm. had witnessed a couple of craft flying over where they'd been fishing and camping. Oh, and they wow. described it as these like bright orange balls of light. But what struck them was the absence of sound. It was completely silent. And then on the other side of the country, another lady had walked out to go and feed her chickens in the back garden at the at the chicken coop. And mm-hmm. she'd seen this glowing ball of light flying over the backyard. And so there were so many reports from adults around the country that were too similar. And yet there were... The gov- oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yet the government of Zimbabwe or, or Southern Africa, they, they, the different governments don't collect this information. Not at all. Not that I know of. Not that I'm aware of at all. Really? Mm-hmm. Are, are there groups like, like MUFON here in the States that collect that information that people can They contact? have... Um, MUFON and MUFON representatives out there. Um, mm-hmm. So when the craft landed, Cynthia Hind was the MUFON representative that actually went out and investigated the alleged landing and, and interviewed the children. And then there was also um, a psychologist from a Harvard professor of psychology, um, Mr. John Mack, Dr. John Mack. He went out and he spoke to all the kids and, and all the staff members and everything. So, I mean... Other than outsiders flying in from the States or from the UK to go and investigate the reports, Zimbabwe and South Africa, unless it's still very under the rug, you know, they don't really, they don't advertise that they they look into anything. Okay. Having said that, though, we have a supernatural task force. (laughs) Really? In our police. In the police. In the police. The South African police have a supernatural task force that are there to look into the occult, witchcraft, Satanism. Um, it's because, you know, the satanic panic, that's that's how this whole thing started. Okay. The, the satanic panic was huge in South Africa. Okay. And so they formed the supernatural task force. It was founded by Huibus, the Hound of God, Yonker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just love it. I love it so much. I love everything about it. Um, and he he was actually tackling more of the satanic panic side and and witchcraft and all the, the ritual murders that have been taking place in South Africa, but also alleged cryptid sightings and, and ghosts and that whole side of the paranormal as well. So I find it hilarious that if you got hold of the Supernatural Task Force and told them that Bigfoot stole your beer, they they have to send someone to investigate. <laughs> I know, right? I can't even. It's the greatest thing ever. Even though, I love it. Even though they're conservative and don't really believe in it, they still have to send the task force out to investigate. Yes. But here's the thing about Southern Africa, right? I say they're, sure. they're really conservative. It's a... Mm-hmm. South Africa and Zimbabwe are very, very strong in their faith, and it's beautiful. They're Christian. They're, it's amazing. I just, when I say conservative, let me just clear it up. When I say conservative, I mean conservative in belief in the paranormal. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm, I'm saying, like, Southern Africa is so 
steadfast in their faith. Mm-hmm. And you have two sides of it. And this is what I discovered when I was there, right? Because I always thought it's because of religion that they are so conservative when it comes to the paranormal. It's yeah. because of their 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 faith and their upbringing. Yeah. Now, it, that's not the case, which was quite interesting to find out when I went back there to dig into all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so in African culture, all things paranormal is completely accepted. 100%, hmm. right? Yeah. So you have, and I actually interviewed um, two of the tour guides at my my cousin's lodge um, out in Victoria Falls. And I spent several hours chatting with them about this. Because one gentleman, his name is Zulu, he believes in all things to do with the paranormal and witchcraft and, you know, like hexing people and going to Sangomas and speaking with your ancestors and that sort of thing is completely acceptable. Whereas the other gentleman, whose name is Conscious, I had a chat with him about his side of it, and he comes from a very Christian family. Hmm. And in their upbringing, like in that side of the African culture, it's completely taboo. Like you don't try and reach out because they they believe it's demons that is trying to kind of drag your soul to hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very intense. Yeah. So oh, it's yeah. two completely different things. And it's you look at more of the Afrikaans side, and they're just more conservative people in general. They don't discuss anything that they can't explain. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not to do with religion, it's not to do with upbringing it's so it's really fascinating just getting to know more about all the different cultures all the different tribes all their different beliefs and it's it sounds like very weird well you you won't i mean you'll you'll find out if just throw aliens out there and you'll find out exactly who stands where and and what what opinion you're going to get um because that, that is a divisive topic I mean, you know, the only other one I know of is Bigfoot. You throw Bigfoot out there, and if you want to see people fall one side or the other, go between, you know, who believes it's an ape and who believes it's a, you know, a dimensional creature. It uh, that'll split people real quick. That's the other one. Um, what if it's an elemental? Oh, look at you throwing in the third choice. <laughs> just just saying <laughs> now you now you're gonna get people pissed off mj look at you <laughs> that's for another show i guess um tell me a little bit about uh here's a here's an interesting chapter for the book and we'll just breeze over it uh, you know we don't have to get in depth with it but it's something that of course we don't have here in america what exactly is a sangoma a Sangoma is a witch doctor, if you will. So um, they are traditional healers. They will hex people. They're the guys that you go to. There's a difference between a witch doctor and a Sangoma. Okay. A Sangoma is both good and bad, whereas a witch doctor is all about healing and connecting with your ancestors. Do you go to a witch doctor for any remedies? You know, perhaps you have been cursed by a Sangoma. So you'll go to a witch doctor to remove the curse. Oh. Um, yeah. They're more on the on the 
the light side of things and and the connecting with your ancestors. Whereas a Sangoma, if somebody's really ticked you off and you want to get rid of them, you will go to a Sangoma and they will either curse them by, oh my gosh, what did he call it? A Sajangkwani. It's a type of seashell, a cowrie shell that they use and a blend of herbs and things. And there's a ritual that they do and it sends the spirits to go and kill the person for you. Um, Yes, very intense. So I actually spent um, a few hours in rural Zimbabwe in the middle of nowhere, which was terrifying. Mm. Sitting with a Sangoma, interviewing him, and I had a reading done by him as well. And I had to have a translator with me because it was a bit of a language barrier then. And even my translator couldn't understand half of what he was saying. (laughs) (laughs) So it was was a little bit difficult. Um, And at one point, halfway through this interview, the translator looked over at me and he went, you know this guy kills people. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he was like, no, no, he's a killer. (laughs) He's actually killed people. And that moment, realizing that I'm sat in rural Zimbabwe, miles from anyone, with a killer and a translator who's going to leg it the first chance he gets. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it was slightly terrifying, but Sangomas, I mean, anything from voodoo dolls to curses to if you want your business to do better, they will, they'll give you a blend of herbs and roots and things to either burn or scatter around your business, but then they'll give you a blend of herbs to take to your competitor's business and sprinkle around there so that theirs fails in order for yours to do better. So there's there's very much a balance of light and dark, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, very interesting people, though. It, does a Sangoma have a code of honor, or do they believe that there's no honor at all? Uh, they do have a code of honor. You know, they're, they're not going to... Uh, I say that. <laughs> I'm hoping they do. <laughs> um, they are very careful with who they see and the work that they do. They also believe that, you know, a lot of those spirits can come back and haunt you. So they're very careful with how they do certain things. Okay. Having said that, on the other hand of it, you do have some gomas, and this is another reason we have a supernatural task force in South Africa. So you do have a lot of some gomas who use a fresh corpse for their magic. Oh. In order to create what is called a chikwambo um, in Zimbabwe or a tokoloshi in South Africa, it is a evil spirit, but it is conjured by a sangoma using a fresh corpse. They will either send somebody out to find them a fresh corpse by grave robbing or whatever the case is. Or they will murder somebody for the corpse <laughs> in order wow. to do this. So you have a lot of what they call muti murders. So they will make their potions out of the corpse, your mutis. 
But in order to conjure a Sangomas, Tokoloshi, or Chikwambo, they will remove the eyes and they will remove the, the tongue so it cannot speak, the eyes so it can't see. They will drive a hot poker, like a big metal poker, mm -hmm. as hot as possible through its head. Oh. Um, and the heat is said to ignite the magic and is what brings it back to life. So it reanimates this, this corpse, um, which can then take a solid form or a spiritual form. Um, yeah, it's really weird. There's a lot of yeah. weird beliefs. Yeah. So things like each Sangoma will have a Chikwambo or Tokoloshi of their own that they send to do their bidding. Um, the guy I was speaking with, his Chikwambo, it's contained in sort of a little clay pot. Okay. And inside the pot is the remains of a newborn baby. Really? That he had acquired. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's really intense. Like, it's some gomas are the more darker, creepier side of things, whereas witch doctors are more the love and light. <laughs> I think darker is an understatement, MJ. Yeah, it's really intense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, again, that's why we have so many ritualistic murders in South Africa or Southern Africa, because, you know, there's so many people, if they've got a beef with someone, they go to Sangoma, Sangoma says, hey, I need a, a corpse, preferably, you know, maybe a teenager that still has their whole life ahead of them. Because what they believe, the younger the, the child, the more of its lifespan that it was meant to live here on this earth will then live out trapped in their clay pot as their chikwambo. And they will then send it to do the bidding, to, to harm people, to curse people, to... You look at South African headlines... And it's great. I've collected so many of them over the years. I love it. Mm -hmm. So they have the Tokoloshi, which is conjured. And South African headlines are like the Tokoloshi, Tiller Tokoloshi wipes out family. Or the Tokoloshi was twerking for my husband is one of my favorites. We have <laughs> twerking cryptid. I remember <laughs> you mentioning that on the last program. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, being able to delve more into the difference between Sangomas, witch doctors, medicine woman, um, and their different divinations. So the Sangomas divination was to do with um, inhaling snuff, which takes him to a different plane and, uh, and allows the spirits to speak through him in a form of trance mediumship. And that's how he did the reading. Okay. Whereas the witch doctor um, used osteomancy, so bone divination. And he had a collection of bones and shells and all sorts of things that he would then shake and throw out on a red mat in front of us. And he would read them. And he actually taught me how to do so. Really? Which was very cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really cool. I spent quite a bit of time learning more about bone divination. It's one of the things I want to learn how to do very badly. So um, it was really cool getting a better understanding of that. And then the juju lady did something that I've never seen done before, and I don't even know what to call it. Really? Um, this medicine woman, she had this this little bottle, mm -hmm. probably about 10 centimeters, 
and it was filmed uh, filmed it was filled with um sticks and seeds and stones and bark herbs all sorts of random little things and what i assume was water was a clear liquid and when she started the reading she would blow into the bottle and she asked me okay what's your name because she had no idea who i was she didn't even know i was turning up i wanted it that way yeah uh, so she she blew into the bottle. She asked me for my name. She asked me for my dad's name. Picked up straight away that my dad had passed away. Okay. Um, my mom's name, and then she said, "Okay, we're gonna call your ancestors forward to give me the information." And she did that. She then sealed the bottle, shook it vigorously, and read the bottle, like as if we use bones or or tarot cards or whatever the case is she right. read a bottle and it was really weird <laughs> but very interesting okay now let me ask you this mj as, as a sensitive and a psychic you're seeing these seeds sticks stones whatever's in this bottle she's obviously seeing something in this are you seeing anything in this as a sensitive not at all not at all i mean i could feel that there were people in the room with us okay i could feel that there was a a spiritual presence there you know there's whether that be her ancestors or my ancestors that she was tapping into but how she was reading a bottle of twigs and stones and things is beyond me i guess it has to be similar to the bone divination because how do different bones mean different things and how they fall? If it falls on its side, it means one thing. If it falls face down, it means another thing, you know, and each bone or each shell or each thing that you've collected has to have a personal meaning to the reader. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even said it in the book, this, this witch doctor and his bones, you know, some of the bones were like intricately carved and they were beautiful. Mm-hmm. Whereas others look like it came off his dinner plate last week. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was a bit like, oh, this is interesting, you know. Um, and so he had explained that each thing is kind of like your tarot cards. Each okay. one has a different meaning. Um, and if a tarot card falls upright, it has a different meaning to when it falls in a reversed manner, when you pull it and it's reversed. So I guess it's similar with the, the bone divination that how things group together, just like how certain tarot cards will fall together, how certain bones and things fall together, kind of give it a specific meaning. But how to read a little bottle? I don't know. I just, I don't know. I've never seen that done. It was very cool. It is cool. <laughs> yeah, a little bizarre, but cool. I, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm with you on that. Earlier, you had mentioned mermaids and that mermaids were a big thing in Southern Africa. Can you kind of expound on that and and what type of mer- mermaid are we talking about i take it it's not it's not uh, the little mermaid that we saw from disney yeah yeah like in like a, a what you would when you think mermaid what you think that's pretty much their issue yeah but um, they're, uh, they're so not uh, they're not sexy mermaids right we're not talking you know sexy mermaids <laughs> that sing real well no uh-huh yeah yes really? yes 
Yes. I know where I'm moving. So um, <laughs> there were two dam projects that had been put on hold in Zimbabwe. And I think we were going back to about 2012, 2013, if I remember off the top of my head. Okay. But um, the Minister of Agriculture actually put a hold on these projects because the workers who were excavating the land and everything, um, they they said they were attacked by mermaids. They they said that they heard these women singing and luring them into the water, and and some of the guys had followed them and walked into the water and never returned. So some of the workers downed tools because they said they were being just attacked by random <laughs> mermaids, and apparently it's a thing in Zimbabwe. Like there are mermaid stories everywhere. Like the Minister of Agriculture stopped work <laughs> wow. on two projects because of mermaids. It's amazing. It was in the newspapers. I mean, I can see stopping because of rain or, or inclement weather, but not, not nope. mermaids. No, no. Mermaids and they're in their sort of a siren song, if you will, luring mm-hmm. people into the water and drowning them. Yeah. No, actual mermaids. They there were descriptions and everything. It was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so this all came about when I went. Um, I went fishing. Anyone who knows me knows I absolutely love fishing mm-hmm. so much. It's because I grew up in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. It's what we do. Mm-hmm. And so I grabbed a fishing rod. I walked down to Lake Masvika Day. Uh, we were visit- visiting some family and friends out there, and the house is literally on on the lake it's right there it's meters from the water so i couldn't resist and grabbed a fishing rod went down to the water um i had one of the staff members the um, the gardener love he was tasked with looking after me he had to join me for fishing um basically he was babysitting me so that i didn't get eaten by a crocodile oh my god <laughs> Yeah, no, they're like literally man-eating crocodiles there. They took somebody out a few months prior to our visit. Somebody actually got eaten by the croc. <laughs> oh. So uh, I I had a babysitter. <laughs> and we were sitting there fishing, chatting away. And he looks over at me and he was like, there is a mermaid in the lake. And I was like, wait, a what? <laughs> what do you mean a mermaid and my reaction was like like the little mermaid right <laughs> is that what we're talking about no there's allegedly a woman who was born with one breast and she was teased really badly so she prayed to her ancestors and said that she no longer wanted to live with the people in her tribe and in, in the village and I don't know if she went to go and drown herself or whatever the case is, but allegedly she turned into a mermaid and and is seen quite often in the lake. Um, and they actually have a wooden carved statue of her at the dam wall and her story. And her name is Boyo Masvigaday. Um, and Masvigaday, the the lake itself, is actually a sacred place in the African culture. It's it's considered sacred. The name Masvigade means, or Masvigase, means how did you get here? Because you won't get to that place unless the ancestors give you permission. Uh-huh. Um, okay. You'll never see it unless you have permission from them. Huh. So, yeah, really? 
random stories and and very interesting discoveries. I didn't know Zimbabwe had a, a mermaid problem. No, yeah. no, not, cool. not at all. <laughs> I want to go find a mermaid now. <laughs> right? I mean, we don't keep them at Lake, Lake Manitonka up here in Minneapolis, but, you know, I mean, that's not what Prince was looking for when he told Apollonia to get in Lake Manitonka. That's the closest we ever came to a mermaid, but just saying. It's a purple <laughs> rain joke. Um, yeah. Uh, the the one thing that I'm I'm curious about is is you get into the book now you've already had the run in with the the Sangoma but you also had a run in with a juju lady who gave you a very special gift in order to remove any bad juju you might have got from the Sangoma. Uh, what yes. did you, what did she um, give not you? Not just from the Sangoma. Um, she she did a reading. That's the woman that that used the bottle to do the reading. Okay. But what I found so fascinating was that when I walked into the room where she did her readings, from floor to ceiling were shelves of every herb, tincture, potion, bark. Oh, my gosh. Also, powders, anything and everything. I've never seen an apothecary quite like it. It was quite spectacular. Hmm. And so I started asking her, I was like, hey, what is in this? And what's that? And what does this do? And what's that for? And, you know, I just wanted to pick her brain as much as I could and just learn as much as I could. And she did the reading for me and she had picked up on a bit of bad juju. And so she gave me some holy water collected in the mountains. Now, holy water from the mountains has to be collected in a very specific way. Okay. It has to be a natural stream that runs through rocks. Hmm. Um, so there's, there's all sorts of things that they believe have to happen in order to consider it holy water. Okay. Um, it's from, it's divine water from your ancestors. Um, and so she, she gave me a bottle of that and told me to bath in it and, and sprinkle it underneath my bed and around my place of business and all sorts to remove any bad juju, which and I wasn't too sure about the bathing in it thing yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because she had it in a bottle with a whole bunch of like bark and herbs and all sorts in this bottle. And I was like, why don't you have like some skin reaction? Like, I don't know what's in there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm, yeah. not just gonna, I'm not just going to put anything on my skin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. It was different. <laughs> huh. Very, very interesting indeed. Um, I'll tell you what, MJ, we'll, we'll, we'll save some of these stories for when the book comes out. The book is scheduled to come out into September, beginning of October, somewhere in there. Um, yes. We'll save some of these, uh, these stories for when you come back, because I want to have you back and we'll get further into Supernatural Africa. But I want to I, I I remind people one more time about Sage Paracon. Again, end of September for uh, here in the States. Belgrove Plantation, end of October for uh, Coombe Abbey Hotel in, in the UK. And again, no Sage Paracon in 2024. No, boo. <laughs> You're booing yourself. Don't do that. I'm booing do. myself. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a well-earned break so that you can get some of these, these great books out to us because uh, again, you've been, you've been doing some stellar work there and so, and, and this book sounds like it's going to be amazing. Supernatural. It is Africa. filled with legends and lore 
and high strangeness and some of the lessons that I learned. And it is just a bit of an introduction to all things supernatural in Zimbabwe and South Africa. Everything from speaking to psychic mediums and Sangomas and witch doctors to aliens and ghosts and sacred places, everything in between. So it's just a, yeah, just an, a travel log introduction and it's set off a whole chain reaction now because book two is already in the works. I've got to plan the trip for it before I can figure out what's going in it, Mm -hmm. but I've already got it set. And, you know, all those dates are in the diary and I intend on exploring things a bit more in depth upon my next return. So let me ask you this before we leave people today. There's such a thing as doing the physical in order to grow the, grow the soul, if you know what I mean. So you have to go out there and make the journey in order to grow the soul. Sometimes it's leaving the home and seeing things out in the world in order to grow that soul. But now you've left home and now you're returning home to grow that soul. How is it Let me me phrase this a different way. How is it that you feel this has grown your soul by returning home? Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding? I don't even know where to start with that answer. Um, I think I've always had this yearning to to work with my ancestors. Mm -hmm. I've always had this calling. Like, I have this entire invisible A-team of people on the other side willing to help me but i didn't quite know how to connect to them and i didn't quite know what they could help with or or how i could tap into that energy and i have a new appreciation for southern africa for the cultures for the beliefs i have a bit more of an understanding of my upbringing Um, which is really nice, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up in a household, a psychic household where things weren't spoken about as often as I would have liked to have spoken about them. Mm -hmm. You know, now going back there as an adult with family, with my aunts and, and my mom and looking back at all the experiences I had in South Africa and Zimbabwe as a child, everything kind of makes a bit more sense now. I think... I think I've grown in so many ways and it was a nice reminder to see how far I've come. Um, but yeah, I, I still have more questions. I still, I still want to learn more ways of tapping into that ancestral energy and using it in the work that I do in the field today. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. I, I know, uh, you know, there's the old saying, you can never go home again. Does it still feel the way it felt when you were younger? Certain areas, yes. Um, There were certain places that I walked in and I was instantly transported back to my early teens Mm -hmm. or, you know, even earlier in my childhood in Zimbabwe. There were a few areas that absolutely broke my heart. Mm. You know, I went back to my hometown in, in South Africa And I stood outside what used to be the restaurant that I worked in 
for years. I loved that place so much. It was my second home. And I stood outside looking at the building in disrepair and it, I just burst into tears. You know, that whole feeling of what felt so much like home to me, that particular town, I had no connection to. It's like all ties were, were cut. Yeah. In a way, it was kind of freeing. Um, in a way, it was devastating. Yeah, I think going home is important, though. I think going home shows you your growth. It helps you grow spiritually and and emotionally and mentally. I think it's important. Have you uh, have you drawn strength as as an adult from from doing this? Do you feel like this makes you a stronger person? Not just a, a stronger in your abilities, but but do you feel now that? Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? That like you you left you left as a younger adult, unsure, um, not not knowing, not being as worldly, not knowing the, the ways of the world. You come back, and now, as an adult, you're more sure, you're stronger. But now that you kind of feel like you've conquered the world, now you come back, and you're more sure of yourself. But now that you've explored the land that you were in as a child do you feel even stronger yes absolutely um it was a really nice reminder to see the growth in my psychic development to realize that leaving the country at the time that i did was the best decision i ever made in my life and i've regretted that for a really long time you know i've created a whole new life and I'm able to explore the world and I'm over in the States all the time and I'm, you know, traveling all around Europe and I'm seeing things and doing things that I've always wanted to do, which is amazing. But had I not left when I did, none of that would have happened. Mm -hmm. None of it. Like I probably wouldn't have developed my psychic abilities more. I, it would have been suppressed because that's just how South Africa is. And I think, yeah, I've, I've grown in so many different ways and I do feel much stronger as a person. I do feel like I can face a lot more. But going back, I now feel like I can face it with the strength of my ancestors and everybody behind me with, with a little bit more oomph. There you go. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm going to remind you folks that Supernatural Africa is going to be out end of September, beginning of October. We will actually remind you on social media. We'll have MJ back when the, when the book is getting ready to be released. We'll talk a little bit more about Supernatural Africa and some of the contents of that book and uh, give you a little bit more of a tease as it's getting ready to be released. Sage Paracon. Again, folks, uh, the Bell Grove Plantation event takes place September 29th through October 1st. You can go to sageparacon.co.uk. Don't worry, you don't have to memorize the link. Just click the link in the description of this program. It'll take you to the Sage Paracon website so you can get tickets. And by the way, they're going quick. Just a few left for Bell Grove Plantation at the end of September. Also, there is another event, Sage Paracon 6 in uh, Coombe Abbey, uh, Abbey Hotel in Coventry, UK. Uh, again, sageparacon.co.uk. That event, the 26th through the 29th of October, 
the last two events for the foreseeable future. It's not going to happen in 2024. Everybody's crossing their fingers for 2025, but you never know. MJ's got things to do, folks. So she's got she's got a career to work on. She's got a life to work on. And listen, people, you got to take advantage of things now. The idea is you got to live in the now, live in the now. So you got to get these tickets now. That's the idea. Yeah, come and join us. <laughs> That's right. Come join. And I'm telling you, there's a there's a fun group of people. I got to hang, hang with some of the uh, regulars from Sage Paracon at uh, Michigan Paracon. They're a fun group. Yeah, we are. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yeah, it's the, it's the Sage tribe, you know, and it's a bunch of people who have come to Sage events, whether it's online or in person events around the world, and it's just one big family. Everyone's really welcoming and and full of nonsense. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So so get out there and get to meet those people too. Again, SageParacon dot. I'm sorry, sageparacon.co.uk. There we go. And uh, get those tickets. Again, the link is in the description of this program. MJ, thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for listening to me waffle on about all sorts of things. It's great. Oh, it was <laughs> I our really pleasure. appreciate it. It was our pleasure. Thank you so much. I want to thank MJ Dixon for being with us today on the program. Again, the book Supernatural Africa will be out at the end of September, beginning of October. Unfortunately, there's no pre-sale link available right now. Uh, there should be here in the coming days. We'll have that for you when it comes available. We'll have MJ back on the show when it gets uh, closer to it being uploaded, that link or when it goes on sale, and we'll have her flesh out a little bit more about her experiences there in her hometown in Africa and Zimbabwe and in South Africa. And we'll have her talk more about Supernatural Africa. As it's, it's quite fascinating, some of the experiences she had when she went back home. And as you heard her mention, uh, she's looking forward to getting back home and having more experiences and talking more about the folklore of Supernatural Africa, which is absolutely just fascinating, fascinating stuff. So I want to thank MJ again for being on the program. Again, folks, Sage Paracon not going uh, to be around in 2024. MJ is going to take a little bit of a break to write more books. So get in on it while you can in 2023. Sageparacon.co.uk is how you get a hold of your tickets, either for the Belgrove Plantation in Virginia in September the end of September or at the end of October in the UK. Again, we've got a link in the description of this program so you can get a hold of tickets for one of the other location. Tickets are going fast. There's only a handful of tickets left for the end of September here. And there's just very few tickets at the end of October. Uh, again, these tickets go fast. They're limited uh, crowds. So you'll have a smaller crowd there. So you'll be able to enjoy both Sage Paracons. And I'm telling you, it's a fun group. It's a fun Paracon. You're going to want to uh, get your tickets, go out and enjoy that Paracon. Then, you know, write back to us and let us know what a great time you had. Take pictures and maybe we'll throw them on our blog and show you what a great time they had there at uh, Sage Paracon. Folks, uh, on occasion we do uh, prayer and healing requests. We do them on our social media. We do them here on the show. I'm going to ask you for a personal favor. You know, we uh, we asked you before to keep those prayers and and uh, healing and good energy going for Papa Bruiser. I'm going to ask you for a personal favor of my own. Um, my uncle Ron, Ron Dennis, is going through some tough times medically. 
uh, and has to have a kidney removed. They, they found a cancerous tumor in his kidney, so they have to remove his kidney. That'll be happening here in the next couple of weeks. So if you could just send your, uh, your thoughts, your prayers, your good energy out to Ron Dennis uh, in Minnesota here, it'd be greatly appreciated. He's had some real difficulty in the last few years having to do with his health when it comes to tumors and, and things like that. And he's, he's a fighter. He, you know, he, he doesn't ever want to worry anybody. He doesn't want to trouble anybody. Um, and he fights a lot of these battles silently. And he definitely is the, the glue that holds the family together. So uh, I love you, uncle Ron. You're going to be okay. I know you're going to be okay. Um, but it's, this just is a, uh, this is a little bit of a devastating surgery. I know you can live with one kidney. A lot of people do it these days. In, in our society, but it's, it's just, uh, it's a little bit of a harder hit because he is an older gentleman. So, um, being in the seventies. So, um, again, uh, if you can send your thoughts, prayers, uh, energy to Ron Dennis in Minnesota, be greatly appreciated. Folks, we're into the fall season, and A Haunting in Venice is out there right now. Again, I recommend you go check it out this weekend. Good movie. Good movie. Uh, Kenneth Branagh, Tina Fey. I gave it four out of five stars. Go check it out for yourself. Let me know what you think of the movie. Send your uh, send your own review to Tim at darknessradio.com. Let me know what you think. Also, we're looking for your Parashare stories from next week's Parashare. Uh, Tim at darknessradio.com or go to darknessradioshow.com and leave a voice note. You have two minutes to do so when you click on that blue button on the right-hand side of the website. And we want your voice notes as well. We want to hear your smiley, shining voice right here on Darkness Radio. So make sure you either give us a voice note for Parashare or type it out the old-fashioned way and send it to Tim at darknessradio.com. We want to make sure we get your Parashare stories right here on the program. And also, uh, if you have stories for dumb crime, stupid criminals, forward them along to Tim at darknessradio.com as well. That'll do it for the program for today, folks. A reminder to take care of yourself and each other. Be sure to look out for those neighbors in your community who maybe are disabled or having a hard time getting their own yard work done. As we head into fall here, you're going to start seeing the leaves coming off the trees There's going to be some yard work that needs to be done around the house. Maybe you can help out an elderly neighbor or an infirm neighbor that needs some help there. It'd be greatly appreciated if you could. For Beer City Bruiser, Mally Fox, and Jessica Freeberg, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for continuing to be such a great listener and a great uh, patron of our program. A reminder to just keep uh, patronizing our sponsors. And we'd appreciate that as well. Factor Meals, factormeals.com slash darkness is the address to go to if you want to save 50% off all Factor Meals. Again, factormeals.com slash darkness50 to stick to your meal plans and stick to your fitness plans throughout this fall. Factormeals.com slash darkness50. Put in the code darkness at checkout. We'll see you next week for another great week of shows here on Darkness Radio. We've got Adam Barry up next Thursday. We'll be talking about his new book, Goodbye, Hello. Be sure to pre-order that. Uh, that that's coming up September 26th, the release on that book. So uh, Adam Barry joins us next week to talk about the book, Goodbye, Hello, on Darkness Radio. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Darkness Radio.